Welcome to the meaning of the movie. You are about to hear a spoiler-filled podcast about the themes, the characters, and what all this movie means. I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Andrew, what's up? What's up? This is uh, a movie where we're going to talk about all the spoilers. And uh, if you don't know spoilers to this movie by, uh, you know, this, it came out, what, 25 years ago? Yeah. 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 Right around Uh, now. 99, 98? It was 99. 99. Summer of 99, which 99 is in my top five movie years ever. It's an incredible movie years, uh, partially because of movies like this. Little interesting fact I read when I was reading up on this. Entertainment Weekly had a 134 movie preview of 134 movies coming out in the summer of 99. They did not list The Sixth Sense as one of their 134 movies. That is so crazy. That's how under the radar this movie was. And um, first of all, to keep on what we were talking about, we are going to spoil this movie. And we always talk about that, but my Goodness, if you have not somehow seen this movie or know what the spoiler is, stop this right now. Go watch the movie. Come back because spoilers are coming. Right. Also, if, if, if yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe we're at the life cycle of this movie where it's gone far enough that no one's talking about it. And you might not know the twist if you're seven. I just I, I can't believe that people would not know the twist of this movie because you say the name of this movie, The Sixth Sense. And the very next words that would come out of everyone's mouth is, spoiler alert, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it's, that's, it's, it's like word association. Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Like, it's, it's just what you, what you think. So what's really interesting is I showed this movie to my 14-year-old and 16-year-old. Okay. Two daughters. And I was like, do you know the twist? You know, going into it. And they're like, yeah, we know the twist. And I'm like, what's okay. the twist? And they're like, What's well, about a movie about a kid who sees dead people? And so they thought that was the twist. And so halfway through, they're like, I knew it. He was there. And then when we got to the end, they're like, what? And they didn't what? know. Oh, my God. And Watching this movie with someone who didn't know Bruce Willis was dead the whole time would be amazing. What was what was that like? Were you just like watching them for the whole like last five minutes of the movie? It was so rewarding. And I was little. I was. I was kind of like watching out of my corner of my eye because I knew it was coming. Like that scene right before it comes back to him. I'm like, okay, it's coming. It's coming. I'm so excited. And so I'm just watching to see what their reactions are. And they're like, wait, what? And my Claire, like she's very logical. My 14 year old. And she's like, that's why I was wearing the same outfit the whole time. Like that's the first thing she says. <laughs> I, uh, I love it. Yeah, because he is. He is wearing the same outfit the whole time. Oh, So here's the thing about this movie where I want to start is this movie is defined by the twist. You know, if you recently on our Facebook page, if you're not on the Facebook group, you should come join on it. People do movie questions, posts. We have conversations and someone posted like, what's the greatest twist of all time? And you cannot post that question without the sixth sense coming up. Right. Right. And so my question for you is, what is it about twists? Why do we love them? Why do we seek them out? Why, why are they so thrilling? Man, that is such a good question. I think in life, we like to be surprised. I was thinking about this when you posed this question to me earlier today, and I've just been kind of like thinking on it. I think we like to be surprised as human beings. There's something about it that is like gives us some kind of joy, right? So like a surprise party. Right. Like you walk in, there was a surprise and you're excited. And the fact that you didn't know it was happening adds excitement. So I think 
the surprise nature of it all of of a, a, a twist is like part of it. I think seeing a twist coming makes a story, though, like the worst. And we can talk about that for a little bit. But like for a twist to be great, you cannot see it coming. Right. And it also has to there's so much that has to go right with a twist. I've got like rules for a great twist, which we could jump into. But like, why do you think twists are good? What do you love about twists? I think that there's a magic trick element to them. In fact, there's actually a like in the movie itself. There's kind of this running gag of Bruce Willis doing a magic trick. And then Haley Joel Osment tries to do the same magic trick. And so like there's just something about that of like, oh, I thought I was watching one thing. And I'm watching something totally different. Mm-hmm. And it just is so shocking and surprising. And I think we do like it. And we like to be amazed. And so really like the magic. And this movie of all of them has that sort of magic trick component to it. Yeah. I think that's that is completely true. But so, I want to hear I want to hear what are the what are the rules for oh, a good twist? OK, so the rules for a good twist. A couple things. All right. So the first thing is, is that. um it's it cannot um, negate the rest of the movie. It has to add something or make certain questions sort of coalesce. So to me, the ultimate example of this, I'm going to spoil two other movies. Get ready for it. Here we go. The Ocean's Eleven trilogy. Ocean's Eleven, Twelve and Thirteen. I think yep. Ocean's Eleven is perfect. And I think Oceans 12 and Oceans 13 are bad. Mm. <laughs> and the reason for that is Oceans 11 has this beautiful twist at the end in which it reveals what the plan is within the heist. And when they reveal that basically the heist team is the SWAT team and that the vault was like a photocopy of the vault that they had been playing on a on a, on a feed. What that does is it doesn't change anything you were watching. It just fills in the blanks. Everything that was happening was true and real, but it fills in some blanks and it it, it excites you because you go, oh, my gosh, like that's what they were doing. That's so cool. Ocean's 12, on the other hand, they basically. At the end of the movie, they reveal that pretty much the entire movie was like fake that it was like a con on someone else and they just skipped over a scene where they had planned something different in order to fool the main target. And so as the audience member, you say like, oh, so everything I was just watching for the last hour and a half had no stakes and didn't matter because this was what was actually happening the whole time. And that sucks. And I think the sixth sense That's like basically my one rule. I think there's a couple other ones that come into place, but that's the big one is that you cannot undercut or negate the plot of your movie through the twist or else it ruins it. And I I would add to that rule like you can't cheat. Part of what makes The Sixth Sense so great is you go back and watch it a second time. You almost want to as soon as it's over. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, no way they cheated. And you go back and you watch all these scenes and you're like, Nope, that freaker did it. He made this twist make sense the whole way through. Right. And so the thing that I love about the Sixth Sense twist, which is I think why it's in, you know, one of the greatest twists of all time, why we talk about it all, the, you know, in the same breath when, we, breath when we talk about twists, is that the movie actually works emotionally without it. Yes. Right. Like it would not be as memorable and we would never talk about it. 
if the twist wasn't there. But narratively and emotionally, this movie completely works without the twist. And so when it you're already feeling good by the moment that thing happens, like Haley Joel Osment has completed his journey. The mom has completed her emotional arc. Bruce Willis is completing his and then he realizes this thing that brings everything into relief. And it's so kind of joyous because you realize this thing. It doesn't change the movie. So when you're watching it for a second time and you know what the twist is, you're still on a good emotional journey because that emotional journey you were on is still true and it still exists, um, which some twists kind of negate because you go, oh, everything that is happening because I know the twist doesn't matter. And that, you know, so the plot still I, has to matter. Which I'd I go even really further. Difficult. I'd go even further and say the biggest problem of the meaning of the movie, The Sixth Sense, is the meaning of the movie is, oh, that's the movie, The Twist. Like, that's what everyone thinks about. That's what everyone yeah. talks about. Kind of the way you started this podcast. Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. I literally mentioned this in my book. Like, I spoiled this movie in a book that I wrote. And, like, as, a, as an aside joke. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's just out there in the zeitgeist. But the problem is, this is a great ghost story. This is like an Alfred Hitchcock-esque thriller, aside from the twist. Like, I kind of disagree where I'm like, even without this twist, I think this movie is incredible. I think right. it's such I, a, a great story. It's so clever. I was so frightened in the theater when I saw it for the first time. There's good jump scares, um, but it's not a slasher movie. It's not, you know, Scream like we talked about a few weeks ago. This is a much classical, like, Edgar Allan Poe ghost story. It, it feels like a nightmare, is, is what I would, I, I, I would say. Like, and we... <sighs> This is this is turning away from the twist, but like the scariness of this movie, I think, comes from the feeling you have in life when you're actually scared in real life. Yeah. Right. Those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't want to get out of bed and go to the bathroom because for whatever reason, the shadows are scary. Right. Like that is that is a real fear. Almost every single one of us have had or will have soon. <laughs> right. Um, and and that is what to me the like. Cole's fear of the dead people feels like is waking up from a nightmare um, or, you know, being in a scary, shadowy new place um, very much yeah. feels that way. I mean, that moment when he says, you know, when the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, that's when the ghosts come. It is such a great line because we all have felt that moment mm -hmm. and you're just like bracing for it. Uh, and you realize like at any moment, anyone could be dead. They turn around, a kid's head's blown off or a woman is just like in a bathrobe and all of a sudden her face is burnt off. You're just like, anyone could be dead at any moment. This is so frightening. And I think partially because this movie is so frightening that you're, you know, again, it's a magic trick. You're never thinking about how weird it is that Bruce Willis is like hovering around Haley Joel Osment. He shows up to his plays. He's like at, sitting in his living room. It's like, no wonder this guy's marriage is falling apart because he's trapped, you know, just stalking this poor kid. <laughs> well, okay. So I want to jump back to that in, in a, a, a second, because the, the magic trick of not questioning why Bruce Willis is there the whole time is perfectly navigated. I think. Yes, I agree. J just at an absolute masterclass in filmmaking and narrative structure and using all of the tricks, like so good. But the um you we were just like to finish up on like the scares and how scary this movie is and when it's scary the first big jump scare of the movie what is it do you, do you remember 
the cabinets being it's open? all the cabinets being yeah. open which yeah. is objectively not scary <laughs> right but it is like I remember that from the first time that I, I I watched it as that scene started to play out. I was like, oh, it's the cabinet scene. It's the cabinet. yeah, <laughs> like of her walking, away, closing two cabinets and then walking out of the room and then turning away, walking back in. and All the cabinets are open. And, you know, they play little sound effects and stuff, too. Right. But like th- th- that kind of just like the world is unhinged. Something's off. Something's not right. Right. Is is what this movie like like feels like it's i think it's so cool that you could use something like that of all the cabinets suddenly being open to be scary and it truly be scary and that's done with a tracking shot which i really like that she, they it's a tr- solo shot follows her in and then she turns around same tracking shot and boom so it's like in real time the crew was like i mean i'm yeah. sure they jump cut it somehow but I, I was watching and i was like how do they do that that's so no, cool I'm, I bet you've got like four art PAs lying on the floor in in the kitchen. And as yeah. soon as the camera turns, they all pop up and are responsible for like seven doors. And then they all lay down. Yep. <laughs> I bet there's just PAs like all over the floor that you can't see. Because this is a low budget film. I, I want to get back to Twist real quick. Okay. Uh, okay. I really okay. like your... We're all over the place on this. Uh, yeah, it's our... we're doing great. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I want to get back to Twist okay. real quick because one thing that you said that I think is so true is like it can't negate what came before. Yeah. This is a hot pepper take, but the worst twist in movie history that's considered a great twist is Wizard of Oz um, because it literally negates everything that happened in the movie. It's like, oh, everything that she happened, everything that experienced, all of Oz, it was all just a dream. And you only get away with it because you can do that one time. But any other screenwriter ever who would pull the Wizard of Oz thing, it just doesn't work. If you're if you're a young screenwriter and like, oh, it was all just a dream. It is like we're setting your draft on fire. We cannot do that because it violates that core rule of like, no, you cannot negate what came before it. Yeah, I think I agree. The only thing that I feel like I might disagree with you on a little bit on that one is the fact that it's Wizard of Oz and it's like a fairy tale. So like the stakes for me aren't that high. It's a talking scarecrow and a dog in the yellow brick road. Right. So the stakes are kind of low to begin with. And the thing that doesn't get negated is that Dorothy like learns to like love whether it was a dream or not, her emotional arc of like learning to love the people that take care of her and to love home and the whole idea of like there's no place like home that remains true that doesn't get so her emotional journey is true and doesn't get negated but like the 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 whole plot definitely does (laughs) it all works but it shouldn't work because it's a bad twist like it's just a magic trick and it's out of time but again wizard of Oz gets to do that no one else does (laughs) fair enough if you're the first movie to go from black and white to color you can do whatever you want exactly one other thing I want to talk about before we get into the actual categories mm-hmm. is M. Night Shyamalan himself. Uh, what do you think about him? What is your relationship with Mr. Shyamalan? Man, so high school, I think, was when M. Night was on his like initial run for me. So okay. I, I, I went through high school in like the early 2000s, right? So Sixth Sense that it had come out. I was too young to see it, but I caught, I caught up on it later. Uh, didn't see Unbreakable until college, but when Signs came out, I was I was old enough to see Signs in the theater, so I'm pretty sure I did. Um, and then The Village after that, and then I think after The Village is Lady in the Water. I think so. And then The Happening. I used to have his whole filmography like memorized. I don't know why. Um, I loved M. Night all the way up through The Village, and I know The Village is controversial for people. Some people love it. Some people think it's garbage. Yeah. 
I think it's mostly because of the score of the village. I think the score is so hauntingly beautiful that it can do just about anything else it wants to. And I'll be okay. Um, also, it's Bryce Dallas Howard's first movie. And I kind of think she's great. She is great. <laughs> so I think I was a big fan of M. Night. In his when he when he started and I heard Lady in the Water was bad and I saw it and I, th- I think I watched him implode real time and it was so heartbreaking to see a director that made movies I truly loved. I loved Signs. I loved The the Village. Sixth Sense when I finally got around to it is awesome. Watched it the other day. It's so good. And it's so like it's so well done. We could spend a little bit of time talking about like the technical elements of this movie. How it's made is so like it's masterfully done. It's his first movie. It's really, really good. Um, But it really falls apart for him. I like I feel like there's two different M. Nights working and sometimes he's awake and sometimes he's not. And it's like really disappointing. Like it's kind of like sad for me, I think. He's the most heartbreaking director Hollywood career for me of anyone. Like if you're asking me who has the like saddest career arc of anyone, it's M night. And I still root for him. Any movie that comes out, yeah. I still root for him, but I don't trust him. The happening <laughs> dude. When I saw the happening, I, I missed lady in the water somehow. Cause I heard it was so bad that it's just like, not going to see it, but the happening looked really cool. And I was like, Oh, this got a good trailer. He's yeah. back. It's got Mark Wahlberg, Zoe Dashnell, like just the concept, the poster all looked awesome. And I saw that movie and it is the worst movie I've ever seen in a theater. I think it was just like, it felt like a mystery science theater film. Nothing made sense. Plants are attacking people. The logic, like I don't, I barely remember it now. I just remember the feeling I had, which is like, this is like written by a grade schooler who doesn't know story, doesn't know how to direct, doesn't know what he's doing. Like it is so bad. And he just makes bad movie after bad movie after bad movie. And it just doesn't make sense to me because the sixth sense, like I still hold as like this awesome masterpiece that like yeah. no one else can make. No one else has made anything that good of like just a classic ghost story since that movie came out. And I do. I love Unbreakable. I love Signs. Those movies are not as airtight, but like, again, Sixth Sense is one of the hundred best movies, according to AFI. You know, there's all sorts of accolades. Yeah. Is this masterpiece and it's just like to go that high and then not only never reach it again, but then have everything slowly erode is just like such a bummer, man. Such a bummer. Have you seen so like the thing that is so odd to me is the like um, ambivalence of his career, right? Of like he can crush it and then he can absolutely tank. It's like the most like manic career I think I've seen of anyone like split, which after a string of really not good movies. He did Split and Split is objectively a good movie. Yeah. It was like Anya Taylor-Joy's breakout. James McAvoy is great in it. Like there's a couple places in it that you're like, all right, this is a little weird. But like good movie. Right. Um, Have you seen Old? I have. Bro. <laughs> Bro. I, I sat in that movie just like mouth on the floor at how like incompetently made this movie was like at every turn like the story the like the everything about that movie i was like how on earth is this a movie not but made by the same guy who made the sixth set like it's it's insane to me how disparate his movies can be yeah he uh, like some of his movies is like, how is this a movie made by anyone, let alone a guy who crafted such a masterpiece? 
And then, yeah, randomly, like, knock at the cabin at the end of the world or whatever it was. Yeah, it's just um, knock at the cabin. Yeah, sorry, it was based on a Paul Tremblay novel, Cabin at the End of the World. Anyway, knock at the cabin. I had such low expectations for it that I actually liked it. Um, yeah. I watched it recently and I was like, oh, he's just a good, like, pulpy genre filmmaker now, like, who can make kind of, like, good Twilight Zone episodes. That's what I thought about Split. That's what I thought about Knock at the Cabin. But again, my expectations are incredibly low. So then I'm like, oh, okay, that wasn't too bad. I think my expectations for old were really low, too. And they still like (laughs) I cannot I cannot stress how unacceptably bad that movie is. Like it just there'll be whole sequences that are the most like insane thing put to film and then they have no relevance to the plot (laughs) or like it's it's absolutely crazy you know the studio gets a bad rap a lot of times of like oh the studio like they're coming and giving notes and that sort of stuff but i'm like this dude needs someone to tell him no this dude needs someone to tell him like this isn't a good idea um and i don't want to beat up on him because i love that he doesn't do like ip stuff i love that he tells original stories i love that he swings for the fences like again i'm still rooting for him i'm still seeing the movies that he puts out um yeah. and i think he's such a fascinating character i well, do too we're talking around the movie we should get to the movie itself um sure. let's start with the categories okay. uh who's your most meaningful character okay so my most meaningful character obviously this movie is about bruce willis and Haley joel osman right it's about it's about malcolm and cole it's a movie about them absolutely insane that Haley Joel Osment gets fourth billing on this movie, by the way. It was it was his first movie, I think. But Bruce Willis is, is above the title. Tony Collette gets second billing, which that's fine. Um, and then Olivia Williams, who plays the wife, who's in like two scenes, right? <laughs> four, if you're being generous, gets third billing and then Haley Joel Osment, which is absolutely bananas. But I guess that's the way that the movie business works sometimes. Um, But the movie is clearly about them. They hold the whole thing together. But I think what works about this movie so well that elevates it beyond the a movie, as we said at the beginning, that is ostensibly a movie about Bruce Willis being dead the whole time. The thing that gives this movie soul, I think, is Tony Collette's character Mm. is the mom. The, the fact that you have this mom who is desperately trying to figure out why her child is like. A mess right and she's like does she discipline him does she hold him does she fight for him she's working two jobs like it, the doctor is accusing her of like abuse like right i think her performance in this movie is so good and kind of like gives the plot so much like soul and the, this sort of like emotional resonance i'm not a parent but as I've said many times in this podcast, um, but to, 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 to me, this this movie would be maybe a more standard mystery whodunit ghost story kind of thing. If it weren't for her plot line of desperately wanting to save her son and not knowing how. And I think she crushes it. Yeah, I want to like shout out my friend Elise, who is like a super Tony Collette fan. <laughs> she um, is. <laughs> And, you know, Tony Collette is in this and she's in Hereditary later on, which is another incredible mom performance in a ghost story. Um, but it's true. She really gives this movie emotional gravitas. One of the scenes that really jumps to mind is when she's like sitting with him and like, did you move grandma's bumblebee pin? And he's like, no, yeah. I didn't do it. 
And then she's like, well, then you can just go to your, like, and she just like lashes out at him. And, but she keeps trying to give him like opportunities. Like you need to tell me the truth and yeah. he won't do it. And as a parent, I get that where it's like, no, you're lying. You can tell me the truth. And when you feel lied to over and over again, you just want to set it straight. But as a viewer, you're like, I know it was a ghost. I know a ghost <laughs> did this. Leave him alone. And right. so it just adds such great tension to it. And, 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 and that scene is is a one shot where the camera is just panning back and forth to the two of them and pushing yep. in. And Haley Joel Osment, who's like, what, nine in this movie? Like, yep. maybe like, again, just absolutely kills it. Like his performance in that of like, I cannot tell you the the feeling of I cannot tell you what is happening. And because of that, I'm trapped. I, I, I think the horror for him to quick aside onto his character, the horror that he experiences is. I see dead people and also the fact that I am alone. I can't tell anyone that I see dead people because there's no possible version where they believe me. Um, and, and so his isolation and just be, that scene of him being trapped, of his, he's a, he knows he's going to get in trouble, but he cannot tell his mom what's actually happening is heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I think I think Tony Collette, the thing that she does is like I've seen moms that are that scene. Right. And her just be that scene the whole movie, right? Yep. Exasperated, disciplinarian, right? Like that that that's the character. But this character is is like she in in the next scene, he's like, Can I sleep in bed with you? Are you mad? She's like, Of course I'm not. And she holds him. Right. It's 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 this living, breathing person who is going through every part of this. The they they show the scene where she like calls up this boy's mom and she's like, we're going to have a conversation about why your kidney just keep his goddamn hands off my son. Right. You see right. her like going to bat for for him, even though she doesn't have proof, but she has enough that that she's going to go to bat for her kid. Right. Like I love her character in, in, in this way in my second viewing this time. Then like the first time I saw it, I was like, she is so much the soul of what gives this movie meaning. Yeah, and you're you're worried for her as a mom. I, I do want to. My most meaningful character is Cole, is Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Uh, for me, this is the second greatest child performance ever. Um, he absolutely carries this film. He should be the top billing. He is the protagonist. Uh, maybe he's not. We can get into that. But he's the he's the character who is like we are following him. We're following his journey. We're following his story and. We talked about this being a scary movie. The reason this is a scary movie is because that kid is so frightened the whole time. And you're yeah. like, ghost, like, I'm worried about the trauma that he is undergoing. Yeah. And, and in Scream, I'm not really thinking about the trauma these characters are dealing with. I'm just like, <laughs> ah, they're slasher. They'll be fine. Whatever else. With him, I'm like, this is going to damage this whole kid for his whole life. Like, he's so young. He's so vulnerable. He's so innocent. And when he sees a ghost... Like, I believe it. Like, I can't believe the level of acting that he does. I know it's it's so good. And I think like what, what you said there about like you care about the trauma he's experiencing as a, a character where you don't really care about the trauma that the people who are literally being brutally murdered and scream are that I think that also is it's this one two punch of his performance and also like the way the script is written, like the the, the, the script cares so much about his world and his fear and like the fort he's built in his room with the keep out sign and yes. all the little like saints on the inside like they don't show him building that or he never talks about it but it just exists and all these little things that you can see he's doing in order to try and protect himself the scene where he like i was saying earlier runs from his bedroom to the bathroom right and is like l looking out like 
all those little quiet moments of you see the trauma already built around him um, is are are lovely, like <laughs> for lack of a better term, like really, really well plotted. And um, which, you know, is why movies like old are so mind blowing to me. Yeah, even I love that little fort. I'm glad you mentioned it. I I'd forgot about it. And it's such a great little I was wondering, like, is his mom wondering, like, what's going on with this fort that's like keep out whatever else? And and then you go inside and there's all these like dolls and like like religious figures and candles. And you realize yeah. like, oh, like you see it earlier where Bruce Willis sees he steals a little Jesus in a church. And then you realize like, oh, he's doing this all the time and he's doing it as a prayer. He's doing it as a please, God, someone will someone protect me. Yeah, he's like building himself like a sanctuary, yes. literally, you know. Um, that my most scary moment of the film is in that fort when Misha Barton is showing up and the and the clothespins are popping off the top of it. I, I, again, clothespins opening up, not uh, like objectively scary, but right. in this movie, that fort is his refuge. And when you see the like, like he's running from something and he takes all the time to clip the pins back together to, to mend the door. He's inside and then they start popping on the top. It's so like you're so scared for him. <laughs> Yeah, OC fans from the early 2000s will remember that's Misha Barton from the OC, who's like a supermodel a few years later. And she is so disgusting and frightening in that scene. There's like oatmeal dripping out of her mouth. And it is true. It's like, this is so scary, man. It's frightening, but it's so simple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's but but like it's it wouldn't work if it wasn't so masterfully done. Like the clothespins wouldn't be scary if we hadn't held on that shot, that canted angle pushing him in down the hall of him clipping the whole door back together. Right. So, so, so that we like have trust in the clothespins, like all of those little things like matter and add to the emotional weight of that trauma that he's experiencing. It's, it's so good. What did you think of Bruce Willis's <laughs> performance in this movie? Um, I was distracted by the fact that he had hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is pre-bald Bruce Willis, yeah. which I don't remember a lot of. This is our, our second pre-bald Bruce Willis movie. Yeah. Um, third, if you count the fact that we've released the Die Hard episode twice. That's true. <laughs> it's a great episode. Go listen to it around Christmas. <laughs> it's it's our only and best Christmas episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, I, I think he, he does a, a good job. Honestly, I, I think he um, he has sort of two things he's doing in this movie that endear me to him. One is his own like personal struggle that feels real to me of his yeah. his, his his own sort of like loneliness and sadness. And then also his like ability to break through to Cole to me is so endearing is a little bit of the wrong word. But like, I like him so much and I believe that he is a great child psychologist for all of the little things that he does. The game where he, he says, like, if I get something right about you, like you, you take a step forward. If you don't take a step back. That scene is a plus. It, it, that isn't <laughs> again, the way it's shot, the way it's written, the way it's performed. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> the, the and, and to me, it's like one it's 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 you seeing that he knows not how to not how to manipulate the kid, but how to develop trust with a child who is deeply untrusting. Um, and he's developing trust. And then like the stakes of that scene, it's 
we, we talked about this a little bit in like the Maverick episode of like understanding your stakes, having a simple point A and point B, right? Yep. And they set it up. And what and if he gets to the chair, like we win, right? And if he gets to the door, we lose, right? And that's all it is. It's these questions that is digging into his past and whether or not Bruce Willis understands him. And we see it in physical space. And each step forward, we feel great. And each step backward, we're like, no, it's it's so emotional and it's so simple. And this movie has a series of scenes with a very clear goal and something very clearly at stake. Like there's scene after scene, the the scene where he's locked in the closet, the scene with the with the mom sending him away, the scene where, yeah, all of a sudden we see ghosts for the first time. It's just like these series of scenes where you're like so locked into what's happening Again, that's part of why you don't put the mystery together. But back to Bruce Willis. um, Yes. What's really significant about this is this is like one of the first times that we don't see a Bruce Willis. This is not John McClane, who's like blowing people away and giving one liners and that sort of thing. And we had seen that there's 12 monkeys, Bruce Willis, who is just kind of crazy and like, you know, doing all this different stuff. But Bruce Willis is normally at the center of the movie as the star as the showy one and when we talked about the barbie episode i forget the word you used um but it's like the side characters are actually a star and the main character is kind of like holding true for the barbie movie that's not true but for this one it is true where it's like he's just kind of the pace setter to let Haley joel osmond and tony collette cook like he's not supposed to have the showy lines he doesn't have the i mean he wasn't nominated for an oscar there is no oscar speech or moment in it he's literally letting everyone else perform and i thought it was a very generous performance from him clearly being the star the guy who gets the movie made but is not making it about him yeah it's it's true he's he's not super showy and i think that if he had been the movie would be lesser for it yes right like like he he is it's it's like he 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 read the script and just to be to pretend to be Gen Z for a second, he just understood the assignment. He knew what his role in this thing was, and he did those two things beautifully. He pursued the goal of getting this child to trust him, right? In order for in order to you know, like for the child's own own betterment, but also you see this struggle which he says out loud of like if he can help Haley Joel Osment, then he can help Donnie Wahlberg. I forget what his name is. Vincent, right? Like that he can redeem. He's on this redemption path and even more so than his mission to reconnect with his wife. His primary objective as a character is to redeem himself for failing Vincent. Um, And it's it's this quiet, almost desperate to me. It's it's a quiet, desperate performance of I, I have to save this kid for my own redemption. Um, which is so believable that you miss every single clue that he doesn't exist. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear my most meaningful scene? I do. Uh, it's probably the most iconic. Well, the most meaningful scene is the twist and everything that happens with it in the last five minutes. It's, it is really thrilling um, to watch it all come together. Uh, and, and it does kind of riff on usual suspects in a way of like, the way usual suspects brought in all these clips from before and made you relook at him differently. Like it's definitely, I, I wonder, I've never heard an interview of him having that on his mind, but I was wondering if that was on his mind when he made it. And so that's the most meaningful scene in a, like what everyone takes away. But what really took me to the heart of the movie this time is the other most iconic scene, which is I see dead people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just the like, he's teasing. Like you think early on, you know what it is, but it's halfway through the movie, and he's talking about a secret. And if you again watching it with my daughters for the first time, it gave me like a fresh lens, and I realized like, oh, you think the secret is like abuse? You think the secret is like there's something taunting him or whatever else? But just the simpleness of like I see dead people and that trauma. And then Bruce Willis sharing like Malcolm's character. He shares his own trauma and they're like sharing that with each other. Uh, It's such a powerful scene. Um, And it just really stuck out to me of like, these are two broken people. who are going to try to help each other. And it sounds so cheesy to say it like that, but it works in the heart of the story. And it's and again, it's not cheesy. It's genuine, right? Like, I think that scene is the big midpoint reveal. I see dead people. Right. But you're right. It comes. Haley Joel Osment, Cole decides to share the secret that he's shared with no one in the world on the heels of Bruce Willis telling him, basically, this is my trauma. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to trust you with basically this secret that is intimate and vulnerable. Um, The almost the, you know, the inmost part of me. Yep. Which in doing so you know, allows Cole to say, okay, then if you trust me with that, then I will trust you with this, which is such a beautiful picture of like normal human relationship. Um, not a good picture of a psychologist to client relationship <laughs> like that violates probably every professional standard of, uh, being a therapist. Um, but if you ignore the, that fact for a second and just look but, at but it to be fair, people relating, you know, to- to be fair, Bruce Willis does say, I can't share that with you. I can't make this about me. And yeah. so he acknowledges that. But we know something's so broken there. And again, what works in a movie in real life. But it's right. like, this is a big T truth, which is like, okay, this kid yes. is like really, really broken. He, this, is, this scene comes right after he's been locked in the closet with a ghost that we now know. But he, we hear the voices in there. And whether it's imagined or real, we don't know at that point. But we know... This kid has gone through hell and is being bullied, is being attacked. Like no one will listen to him. No one will break through. And so this is a desperate moment. And it's just really beautifully done of that vulnerability that breaks through in that desperate moment. So rule number two for me about how to make a good quit twist has to do with midpoint twists. I'm going to talk mm. about this for just a, a, a second. So I think one of the best ways to create a twist that... um your audience doesn't see coming is to drop a obvious twist in the middle or prior to, to make your audience think that they are ahead of you. Right? So the icy dead people thing, right? You sort of know that going into the movie or you can guess it through a a lot of clues prior to it, it happening. So you can spend a pretty good portion of this movie thinking like i'm smarter than the movie i know what's actually happening here right there are ghosts so then when it happened you go like ha 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 see i knew that the whole time but you're you're distracted by the fact that you think you're ahead of it that you think you're smarter than the movie and so by hiding a more obvious reveal for the audience to preoccupy themselves with you can hide a a better twist it's sort of in plain sight um, underneath it um, by having a different twist that is obvious because then the audience won't look for the second yeah, twist. 
I mean, it's a great midpoint twist, and it really does that. And it's this sleight of hand where it's like, okay, look over here, and the magic tricks happen over here. But you're like, looking at my hand right here. Right. And even after that midpoint twist, it's like, okay, what do these ghosts want? What are they doing? And again, like that whole Misha Barton sequence would probably be my second most meaningful scene of just like, it's such a powerful, devastating scene of he goes, he finds this VHS tape, and then you're wondering once the VHS tape is there, he's like, he's bringing a VHS tape to a grieving father? What the heck is on that tape? Like, you're just wondering what that is. And so you're so locked into that, you're not thinking about what's going on with Bruce Willis. You're just thinking like, okay, they're Scooby-Dooing this mystery, and I have no idea what's happening here. They are Scooby-Dooing. So, all right, just quick aside on the technical wizardry of jump scares and how scary this movie is like cinematically that sequence i think from the doorknob reflection slow hand open the door and they walk into a room full of marionettes for no reason yeah super creepy puppets so creepy and then they push the camera back behind a series of marionettes that he's looking at in such a way that you're like, oh, there's a ghost from the camera's perspective, right? Like, like you're so not distracted, but so watchful of all of the marionettes that you never see the fact that she's going to shoot her hand out and grab his ankle from under the bed. Right. Right. That that is like you could have shot that scene in 48 other ways. And shooting it that way makes it scary. Like <laughs> it was I was I was like, this is like, this is really good. <laughs> the atmosphere in this movie is so great. I, and this is a quick aside on that. But like the score in this movie is absolutely incredible. And just the atmosphere that score creates in that scene. There's little violins, you know, like that are going on that just yeah. like it's not cheap and gimmicky. It's just really atmospheric and cool. And yeah. it's great filmmaking. It, 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 it really is. Again, it, it is it is baffling at how well made this movie is for a first time director. And then to see the more and more practice he gets, the more and more inconsistent he, he becomes. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. So in this perfect movie, is there a least meaningful scene, Andrew? <laughs> yes, I think there is a least meaningful scene in this movie, which felt like as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is heralding stuff to come. And that is the scene with. Bruce Willis' wife, played by Olivia Williams, in the jewelry shop where she's selling a ring to the engaged couple. Yeah. It's so long and has no point. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know if, if it's literally within the same scene when uh, the, her co-worker tries to like kiss her or, or something and Bruce Willis breaks the window. Um, but that. The whole point of that scene is basically just to show she's in a jewelry shop and maybe to talk a little bit about like people imprint on their objects from the past. It's so long and it has no emotional relevance to the story at all. And I remember sitting there thinking about this and being like, hmm, there's a lot of scenes in movies like Lady in the Water that feel a lot like this. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like. Olivia Williams is like needs something to do and needs something to interact with because she literally can't interact with Bruce Willis. And so it's like, okay, we have to show her interacting with people to like remind us that she's alive, I guess right. is like, is like the point. And you know, she, she does interact with the guy who's like, maybe she has having an affair with or whatever else. But like, I think that's the point, but, but I'm with you. That is not 
a well done <laughs> scene. And I think like it's interesting because it points to the trap that M Knight does get into is he becomes the twist guy. And I think that's part of what sunk his career yeah. is like, he's like, okay, what's the new twist going to be in this movie? And I won't spoil them, but in other, in most of his other movies in all of his other movies, he does not have a twist as successful as the greatest twist of all time. And so, but he's trying to like one up himself or prove he can do it again. And I think like building movies around the twist, like doesn't work. And, um, well, <laughs> we talked I mean, about it, bad twists and that's many yeah. of his other movies. Well, and, part of part of it too is 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 that you can't your brand can't be the twist guy it's antithetical because if you walk into a movie saying i wonder what the twist is then you're just sitting you're not watching the story you're not emotionally engaged in the story you're trying to figure out what's what the mystery is and like we said at the beginning the great thing about a, a, a twist is that it adds something to the emotional journey you're on right it's it it reveals information that you didn't see coming that makes it m- more exciting, right? So if you walk into a movie being like, oh, I wonder what the crazy twist is going to be this time, you're already at a disadvantage because you're waiting for something as opposed to being engaged in the thing that you'll then be surprised by. You can't be surprised if you're expecting a twist. It's it's yeah. unfortunate. The story can't serve the twist. The twist has to serve the story. 100%. In the sixth sense, the twist serves the story in the village and Lady of the Water and signs and other things. It's like, okay, um, the story is trying to serve the twist. Um, so I feel like this, I feel like signs doesn't have a twist so much as it has like a massive denouement of like, look at all of this fatalistic things that have been set up in order to have this grand finale. And that doesn't really work, but because it's not like a twist so much, it's just like a, a like fate aligning almost. I don't think it ruins the movie. Does, how do you? I don't think I don't think it does either. Um, but I think it comes close, you know. And yeah. I think I think Signs is his other like. I really like Unbreakable, um, all the way through. I like the twist in that movie. But I think Signs is his next best main movie. I think that yeah. movie is Spielberg. It's Hitchcock. It's doing so many cool things. It's. I think Jordan Peele is inspired by it with Nope. Like I think it's just really really amazing. Um, but the twist doesn't really add anything, but it does feel like just anticlimactic. It feels like we are leading up to something and then it's like, oh, for that. Um, and and I think part of that is because you're, oh, this is the twist guy. What's going to be the big twist at the end of the alien movie, as opposed to just watching the alien movie. And then the end happens, right? (laughs) It it, it feels like we're trying to add a twist to a movie that could just have a good ending. (laughs) Yes. If it would have just been a straightforward story, more of a Spielberg story where it's like, hey, we're just A to B and that's it. That would have been a much better movie. And I think, you know, if you could have figured that out or not felt the pressure or like maybe it's arrogance. I don't think we'll ever know, but like maybe it's a different career arc that he has. Yeah, to to me that I don't know. I've never sat down and had a conversation with M. Night Shyamalan, but my gut tells me that that was likely studio stuff, right? Of like the studio coming and being like, hey, Sixth Sense guy, what's your next big twist movie? And that his his brand from an audience and studio perspective got built on this thing versus him being able to tell whatever story he wanted. Um, or maybe not having sort of the the gumption to say, I'm not going to put a twist in all of these. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, another podcast we love that we talk about is Blank Check. 
the premise of that podcast is like a director makes a hit that's so big that it's a blank check and they can make anything they want. Mm-hmm. And to me, he is an all-time blank check director, which is yeah. I think six. that was the the first or the second uh, director that they covered on that podcast. Is it really? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember when, but I'm like, he is the example of like, this movie is so successful financially that he's still making movies based on The Sixth Sense, you know, right. nearly 25 years later. Yeah. And um, so maybe it's studio pressure, but I can't imagine that it's like we just want an m night movie you know i think it was more him like i'm gonna be this guy it's a Mm. little too self-aware quentin Mm. tarantino is kind of this self-aware in a way but it's still in my opinion he still works and pulls it off even though he's a little too self-aware that's probably true just real quick 10 seconds or less how do you feel about the village the village is is a thumbs up for me like what how do you feel about that movie it's his number four movie it's a thumb sideways. I think like, <laughs> I mean, that's probably a cheap answer, but it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, it's good, but I kind of wanted something else. I kind of felt like, all right, we're trapped on the M night carousel with that movie. Yeah. Does the twist kind of ruin it for you? Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I, th- I think one of the things I think is so beautiful about that, that movie, it's somehow the twist doesn't ruin for me is the fact that it has two characters that share the arc of the protagonist. That which I think is a masterful way to tell a story, which, again, someone who's really good at storytelling, like I don't understand how you have this big up and downs. But Joaquin Phoenix in that movie is the protagonist until like a midpoint. And then Bryce Dallas Howard sort of takes over the protagonist arc. And it, it's it's really like to me, that's so fascinating to watch a, a, a character arc between two different people. Like, it's really interesting to me. I've only seen The Village once. I should probably rewatch it and I'd be curious what I thought. Yeah. And anyway, this is not a podcast about the village. Um, <laughs> well, it's hard to talk again. Like his movies are hard to talk about without spoiling them. And so I, f- I feel that tension in this conversation of like, uh, like I want you to see, like I would recommend signs, like go yeah. see that movie. I would recommend unbreakable. I'd recommend the village. I mean, I think again, like all those movies are worth watching. Um, yeah, I think his, his first four, which is six cents, Unbreakable, Signs, The Village. I think they're all very much worth watching. Everyone sort of has a different opinion what their ranking is, but I think the first four are great. Then you can pretty much ignore everything else until Split, and Split is fun, and then you can keep ignoring them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad. Is there anything else we missed that you want to talk about with Sixth Sense? Any with other? The Sixth Sense? I feel like we've talked about M. Night a whole lot, but not fully Sixth Sense. I mean, th- th- this movie, I think, is... I guess we're at the point of the podcast where we kind of talk about the meaning of the movie, right? Yeah. Go for it. So I think as I was kind of talking about with my Tony Collette being the most meaningful character for, for me, and, and she's the most meaningful impact character, right? Obviously, this movie is about Bruce Wells and Haley, Haley Joel Osment and their their journeys. Um, but I think this, this movie is so concerned with like human relationship and how we how we relate to one another. Right. How we care for one another during during trauma what it is we do to defend one another, how we learn to trust one another. It's it's several different characters, including Bruce Willis and his wife, though there's, you know, the issue there of that she's not ignoring him. He's dead and he's not there. Right. But it's it's a bunch of different characters striving to figure out how to connect past one another's traumas. And I think that is a beautiful story, regardless of if Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. 
right? I, I think, and again, that is why I love this movie, is that there is a soul in this movie that exists regardless of the ghost story, regardless of the Bruce Willis twist. It, it's these people who are just like trying to connect and understand one another's trauma and figure out how to talk to one another and like see one another. And I think that's like really beautiful. And in a ghost story, like that's cool, man. <laughs> like yeah. that's a, that's, that's worth two hours of my time. Yeah, this is October. We're doing like, you know, Halloween, scary movies, that sort of stuff. And my meaning of the movie is like there are so few ghost stories that are this good that yeah. you can go and watch and see. The movie is defined by the twist, as we've been talking about. But that's such a travesty because really, ultimately, what a good haunted house story is, is it's about the past trauma, of the past affecting the present. Mm -hmm. And this is really a haunted house story, even though it's mm. more of a haunted child. It's yeah. about the trauma of the past affecting the present. And we have two pieces of trauma. One, we have everything that's happened to Bruce Willis. And then we have everything that's happening to Haley Joel Osment. And that trauma of them both going through it. And instead of running away from it, facing it and overcoming it is really, really powerful. And I think we're doing Halloween movies. We're doing scary movies. And again, all the time, people are like, I don't really like scary movies. Like, why do you watch them? Well, I think the reason to watch them and think more deeply about them is because scary, traumatic things happen to us that yeah. don't make sense, that mm -hmm. we don't understand. And movies like this are a powerful way to process them and understand them. And this is one of the best ones out there. That that is so completely true. I'm going to just tack on to that a little bit. Go for I feel it. like I feel like you landed the plane, but. For people that don't like to watch scary movies, I do think Sixth Sense with its poster and its marketing falls into that quote scary movie category. It is a ghost story. But I think at its soul, it's not trying to be a scary movie in the same way that like a slasher is or a movie that has fun scaring you. This movie is not trying to have fun scaring you. It's really it's it, it is so much more concerned with characters exploring trauma. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And that is through things that feel somewhat nightmarish. Right. And and because that's what trauma feels like um, that that it's I, I wouldn't necessarily even genre wise chalk it up to the scary movie category. It's not having fun with scaring you or murdering people or all that kind of stuff. Um, it it's uh, it, it really is a story about, you know, a bunch of people trying to connect. And I, I, th I think it, th that's the primary thing. And um, yeah. So, like, if you don't like scary movies, maybe give this one a shot anyway. It is scary, but for good reason. If you listen to this whole podcast and uh, haven't seen this movie, then like, yeah. you you are a number one fan. Um, but but I do think there are films like this. And I think that's why I go into this meeting in the movie where, like, there are films that we chalk up as, oh, those are just scary movies. Where I'm like, no, I think there's a purpose and a depth behind movies like this mm -hmm. and very few better than this one. I really, really loved rewatching it. Yeah. And again, watching it with my kids, I was like, this is fun to experience it through them and through their eyes. So that's the thing, you know, parents, if you're looking for a good like if you have older kids, like I wouldn't show this to your five year old after, you know, <laughs> a Disney Plus marathon. But, you know, if you have like teenagers and you're looking for that, like fun, scary movie, yeah. uh, Andrew says this one's a great one to watch I, I, with him. I, I do. <laughs> I do say that. Uh, and, and I have a lot of a lot of parenting experience, so I am trustworthy on that front. But I think that's the homework assignment is find someone who doesn't know the twist of this movie and watch it with them. Because, man, what a fun experience that would be. Absolutely. It, it was so thrilling to watch it that way um, and then to talk about it afterwards. I, last little thing. I went to a like 
back to school night for my daughter last night. And we were like, we had to like do assignments like kids. And so we were reading poems and like all these parents were like reading a poem and trying to decipher what it means and debating about it and that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, I do this on a podcast all the time, but we so rarely do this with our own friends and families. So I do think the homework is watch The Sixth Sense with someone, talk about it, debate it. Like these movies are fun to watch and think more deeply about. It's true. Uh, yeah, I can't believe we just gave people homework assignments, but, you know, might as well. It's episode, what, 38? Something <laughs> like that. Uh, it's about time we started handing out homework. None of you are busy. You listen to this whole podcast. You're not doing anything with your life. You're stuck in traffic. Give someone a call. Talk about a movie with them. Um, oh, man. <laughs> all right. Well, that is it for today's episode. If we have any listeners left, uh, you can join us for the next episode of Meaning of the Movie. Until then, we will see you next time. <laughs>